0: Hey there people of soccer. this is ATL on Fire, the show where we'll be talking about everything Atlanta United Football Club. Sit back, buckle up, enjoy. Hey everybody. We are back, and it is ATL on Fire, episode number 10, no entiendo, I don't understand how we are on a winning streak, I like it though, we uh, have been off air for about three weeks or so, and since then we beat DC United 2-0, solid win, we um, scored on LAFC (laughs) in the first two minutes, which looked really good, and then... We gave up three goals or four goals in uh, a period that was pretty epically um, horrific. Uh, I don't even know how to describe that lapse. And then came back and fought. At least that was one thing I can say in that game is we fought back, but a little too late. Uh, not much refereeing to help us in that game, and we didn't help ourselves and lost 4-3. to three. Mm-hmm. Um, We beat the LA Galaxy at home. Uh, that was a great match on a Saturday afternoon here in ATL. 72 strong, awesome TIFO, a lot of energy, um, in, enjoyable game, got to make that one. And then took care of business in the U.S. Cup semifinal against Orlando's Disney characters. I think we won that game 2-0. Um, yep. Still not much of a rival uh, since they haven't beaten <laughs> us. Um, yeah. And honestly, Orlando, I went down there for a conference. What a terrible place. Oh. <laughs> they have Disney World. Come on. Yeah. Who doesn't love Disney? I don't love Disney. Oh, okay. I'm not Fair. there. And so then, <laughs> yeah, and then we're, we're uh, on the heels of this podcast. Probably, in my opinion, maybe one of the best games we've put together this season. And should have done better. But won two to one, 2-1 to against NYFC, one of the better teams in our side of the conference. And um, a lot of good things uh, in terms of just the way the team played, regardless of um, you know the the result. Maybe could have been better in terms of goal differential. But I tell you what, probably the best goal we'll see of this season. Uh, I don't. Mm. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But holy cow! In <laughs> terms of a butte, I would put that up against most goals uh, over over the uh, the last five years that I've seen in the MLS. Yes. Special. So, Dave. Thanks for joining again. A little more mobile with a leg today. <laughs> I blew my back out today in the middle of the day. So, uh, Enrique, our guest, may have to help us with the report on the wine. But, how are you doing?
1: So, uh, just going to reiterate our motto. We know a lot about soccer, um, a good bit about Atlanta United, and we're getting to know a little bit more about MOS these days. But, we're going to talk about it all. And, thank you to our my guest uh enrique alvarez for bringing mexican wine especially a family vintage is
2: it that is correct yes and i will have to thank my brother-in-law Mauricio, who's the one that gave me this bottle of yeah wine. and so yeah what's
0: the what's the history with the wine here so
2: history with wine is very special for them uh this wine uh is a 2014 tempranillo made in baja california mexico and uh the story goes that their uh five siblings uh their dad was turning 70, and they wanted to do something special for him, and so what they went out and did was partner with this vineyard down in uh, Baja California called um, uh, Santos Brujos. I have my uh, cheat sheets here witches. right in front of me. Brujos. Brujos, which is... Uh, it's witches, right? Yeah. Uh, it's more wizards, because Wizard. it's like Wizard, the Yeah, it's like the male, male version male, yeah. of the witch. Yeah, Brujas, yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's really nice. He gave it to us, and they made it for the family they bought the whole vintage for that year they aged it for four years and we're having it right now i'm 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 not a a big fan to be honest
0: (laughs) it just tastes a little too uh strong for me Mm. but you know what after the second glass you know it's uh starting to come into into its own a little bit for me
1: it's a little sharp initially but i think it's it's developing
0: well i tell you what like baja is i would imagine a really challenging you know, uh environment to go grapes, you know, in, in terms of the climate there. So it's a it's a big
2: uh a big wineries are there now. It's just they? like an extension yeah. of the California wine. Yeah, so it's I think basically it's pretty just the big. same. Although mm-hmm.
1: I have to say I've never had a Mexican wine before. N- neither so this have is I. the first. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I'm enjoying the you know, the experience uh, uh, and my first Baja wine, so Check. Well, I'm
2: excited to share it with you guys. That's for me what wine's all about. So, uh, yeah, good company. Cheers.
3: Yeah. So Enrique, thank thanks grew for up having me
1: in Mexico, and came to us not through a, a hole in the wall, as
3: Trump would say, <laughs> but via I War- swam no. by
1: Wharton Business School at University of Pennsylvania, yeah. right? And uh, it now owns a business in Atlanta, correct?
2: And that is correct. Vector Global Logistics. Check us out.
1: Yeah. yeah. But um, moving from A to B.
2: I love Atlanta though it is our home. Uh, both my kids were born here as you guys know, and I've gone to know really good people. We love the city uh, we like it even more now that it has uh, soccer and it's growing so so
1: your son Enrique and your daughter Emma are they Mexican fans or u s fans
2: well they um, I'll take a step back on that <laughs> question because uh, Emma doesn't like soccer that okay. much. <laughs> She would be uh, probably be cheering for both would be cheering for the US if Mexico were to play the US at a national level. Uh, They both have the US jerseys and to be fair to them, I actually was the one buying them because it's fun to see them wear the jerseys while we're in Mexico and pissing off my family and <laughs> and the grandmother. It's exactly. sad because love it, there's,
1: there's a golden generation well, of Mexican players and yeah. as the dear podcast listeners will know, Tata Martino, our beloved coach, is now the Mexican coach. So the U.S. can look forward to getting hammered for the next yeah. X number of years in CONCACAF. So well, they've and, maybe made a bad choice. Well, what I I
2: think is funny, uh, and I guess it's true with uh, parenting in general, but like the more I did this, now they're starting to, two things are starting to happen. One, my mom's starting to cheer for the US a lot more because like her grandkids are from the US, so I can actually see my mom cheering for the US and my kids are starting to cheer for Mexico more. So it's (laughs) actually uh, backfiring a little bit, but no, uh, yeah. Enrique Love soccer, and uh, we're all so really happy.
0: Talk a little bit about your history with soccer and, and loving the game. Uh, you know, coming from Mexico, but basically being uh, you know a, a U.S. Uh, you know staple in terms of you know seeing the game from both perspectives. You and I have talked a lot about that, but you know, tell, talk about why you love soccer and how you became an Atlanta United fan.
1: I have to say before you start, dear podcast listeners. Enrique, I think, of all the people I've ever met in my entire life, likes soccer more than anyone.
3: thank you.
2: I do love the sport. Um, I have played the sport since I was very little. I think that my love for soccer comes from my mom, not my dad. My mom comes from like a soccer-loving family. Uh, my mom's um, um, cousin is Manuel Puente. So they literally hang out with soccer players all the time. She (laughs) went to the games all the time. She went to the stadiums and became very passionate. Do you want to
1: explain for the dear podcast listener who who Manuel is? Yeah, so
2: Manuel Apuente is a very famous coach down in Mexico. And I think he actually became famous after he uh, coached the Mexican national team on a couple of World Cups. And uh, he used to coach uh, Necaxa at the beginning, which Mm. was a Mexican club down in Mexico City. And I remember like when I was little uh, with me and my other cousins and my brother and my mom took us to the stadium and we used to be in the stands looking at Necaxa, who was never really a good team, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but we are all kind of somewhat cheering for them because, uh, because of Manuel Puente. But uh, my team's uh, Chivas, uh, also because of my mom. And I think just my love for the game comes a little bit from my mom, but I've always been more inclined to play it than, than really watch it. Yeah. Um, so I started playing very early on. I kept playing through college. I came to the States and started playing. And uh, sure enough, I wanted to find a way to continue playing when I moved to Atlanta and, um, through Victor Patenkamani uh, from school. They, he mm-hmm. put me in touch with uh, Q, and I came to the uh, Sting uh, tryouts, and that's where I met you guys. So I've been yeah. pretty, At pretty happy. I remember that.
1: I remember the first day you showed up. But, so tell us a little bit about... Um, your perspective of Mexican soccer versus, let's say, MLS.
2: Well, um, Mexican soccer in general, I think it's a little bit slower paced. Uh, I think the MLS is trying to emulate a little bit of what the EPL is doing. And, and I've gone to realize that a lot of Americans here in the U.S. watch the EPL and they kind of understand the way the EPL is played. And so some of them are trying to play that way, which is a little bit more vertical, a little bit more uh, physical a little bit faster uh, whereas in mexico the game is for me a little bit slower it's mm-hmm. a little more like tiki taka it's mm-hmm. a little bit more possession and uh i mean we've gone through this like almost yeah. every other wednesday when we play together right mm-hmm. it's uh for me it's really not just about running forward but just keeping the ball keeping the ball waiting for that one opportunity to make a couple of quick passes and then shooting how it's many, interesting how many wait, Spanish... hold on, hold on. Yeah, how many
0: world cups has mexico won Oh zero. Okay, check.
1: <laughs> Just wanted to throw that out there. Continue. <laughs> oh, trash talking already. Yeah, you know, hey, it's interesting. How many the, Spanish- of the US one? Okay, sorry. Yeah, I US. think the
2: US will actually, and I'll. No, I will probably not say this because I it's was- in the podcast. But I think the US might end up winning the World Cup before Mexico.
1: You know, I was going to say that too. I would have said that. You know, if you had asked me a year ago, two years ago, I would have said for sure that's true. But Mexico, a has a
3: golden generation. They have terrific yeah. players. Yeah,
1: and no, they with Tata really Martino good. at the helm, they are a legitimate chance yeah. in the next World Cup. Now, the craziness is the next World Cup, and what's going to happen with Qatar yeah. and when it's going to be held? And, and no, it's now it's, it's not going to be held. It's, it's going to be a winner World Cup, and it's in the middle of the season. They're going to take a, a break. It's it's craziness. So, how that's all going to go down. But I was thinking, not playing in South America, where the South American teams have a huge advantage, and you not playing in Europe, per se, right. in this crazy mid break, Mexico could win yeah, it. could be right? anyone. It could welcome. be anyone.
2: And Mexico's is talented. Like, Mexico's <laughs> soccer history is uh, goes a lot farther down than the U.S., probably, yeah. uh, totally. with all due respect. And I think, like, just Mexicans in general have the one sport that's soccer, similar to here you have football you have baseball you have basketball it's a little bit more diluted and uh, and i love to see like soccer growing in this country because i not only love the country but i love the sport and so it's uh going back to your question i think mexico has the talent i think in mexico's case it's a little more the mentality yeah uh, the winning mentality and then just believing in ourselves and the fact that we could do it it's what's kind of like keeping us from winning the world cup i think yeah. if we had a little bit of a better mentality, which probably the younger generations will definitely have, and especially with a good coach, we could definitely uh, Well, the U.S. has this be like
1: naive mentality that we would belong and we should win it all. Well, that's that's good, though. <laughs> I know but, know, but that's a good mentality coach. to have, though. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know, know, it does well.
0: You know, La Liga, Emekis, which, uh, Dos Equis, for you podcast listeners who don't know how the X is pronounced in Spanish, Equis, uh, La Liga, Emekis, is, uh, <clears throat> You know it's, it's one of those leagues that you know I think um, you know, definitely has an advantage over uh, you know the, the MLS because of the, the longevity that it's had in terms of uh, probably three times the amount of years in terms of the, the league's history, I think probably. roughly, uh, but also the fact that they can pay players three right. times the wages. And that's where you get the talent differential is the fact that there, as a league, it's healthier in terms of the wages it can pay its players. So you get naturally a better talent that makes it more competitive. And so that makes it tougher in the CONCACAF and all these other competitions for us to be able to This to is an them.
1: interesting segue. Actually, there's the collective bargaining that's going on right now in MLS. And one of the things they've said is that... So MLS, quite rightly, has been very strict in collective bargaining about all these salaries and things. And they've done that because they tried, of course, with the Cosmos and all the, the you know, the original leagues, right, to have everything and it just crashed and burned. And so when they started the league again, right after the 94 World Cup, the MLS, they were very cautious. They were like, we've got to build slowly. We we cannot do it. The league, of course, has progressed now and nobody thinks that MLS is folding tomorrow. It's just growing and growing. The clouds yeah. are bigger. Obviously, Atlanta United fans, you know, 72,000 thousand—it's crazy. But what's interesting in the collective bargaining, they've started to argue that, look, they need to to basically let off the reins a little bit and allow the salaries to grow a little bit so they can compete, for example, against Mexico. Yeah.
2: It's, um, it's an interesting take on the salary cap and just the wages and the different leagues. But for Mexico, as you guys have said it, it's very established. Uh, salaries are pretty high. Uh, I think they're actually too high for the for <laughs> our own good. And the reason I say that... Too high for, for football? Too high, too high for football because <laughs> what's happening in our country, and I think it's slowly changing, but really, really good players that are younger are getting paid so much they don't want to go to Europe. Chicharito mm-hmm. went to play for Manchester United at a pay cut. So yeah. the thing... Mm-hmm. And our league is so, they're getting so well paid and they become such great stars in Mexico that it's hindering them from playing in the best leagues in the world, which is the Europeans. And so I feel like for the national soccer in Mexico, the fact that we're paying too much to our players is something that's also playing against us when it comes to getting those players more... Uh, training against
1: better players yeah. than That's East. a good point. I mean, there have been... Like Brazil, right? ...relatively few Mexican players in Europe. You know, you Marquez yeah. they right don't from want Barcelona for a little bit, Borghetti, you know, in the Premier They're League. They're Mamas boys. But you, At a pay cut. You can they name all, them... They all go... Um, you can yeah. name them sort of on one hand, and yet they've had a history of fantastic players, so that's yeah. an interesting perspective. And
2: if you take a look and compare it to Argentina, Brazil, all this other really good leagues in the world that are sending all the younger players to Europe, they yeah. don't have as strong of a league as the Mexican
0: league. So do you have any like I'm curious what um like from your perspective, like talking to family in Mexico, like what is the impression of the MLS?
2: Um, so I have a lot of lot of cousins, uh my mother has ten siblings and they don't really care too much about it.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean but, I'm I mean, the, it, me
0: and my family are the ones that a are lot making it. I mean, is it, you know, or is it just um, they don't
2: really just watch not it. paying attention. But I you, don't think they don't paying attention. It's probably a little bit more now. But honestly, in general, they just don't really pay too much attention to You
1: brought some of your it. cousins to Atlanta United, correct? Right. What oh, and they lo- think? Oh, they loved it. I mean, they. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, it, it helps that you have one of the best stadium in the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and it helps to the fans. And, but so they're surprisingly uh, excited about watching soccer games here in Atlanta. So they don't expect that, right? They don't expect the 70,000 fans cheering and singing and, and jumping. Yeah. It's very familiar to them when it comes to like the way the uh, fans behave inside the stadium. Uh, and it's a really, really nice stadium and it's really good quality soccer and it's getting better every year, so.
0: yeah,
3: But, so, it, but yeah, in general, you,
2: they don't.
0: Yeah, so what do you think about the quality of the, the better teams in the MLS right now? Like what do you think? Um, the quality is like where? What's the the, the trajectory of? Some We're of gonna these teams find out Wednesday right? against right? America, right? Yeah, Love America,
1: uh, the the Mexican champions, playing against us uh, on Wednesday, which I is the
0: uh, rivals
1: for
2: Chivas. I told you, so you I, the
0: trivia. Okay, little hint. You're gonna do well there. Um, so <laughs> maybe I'm just that way. Yeah. Long question. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful sound. <laughs> so um, you know, talk a little bit about. Um, your experience with Atlanta United, like bringing your family there, like yeah. having kids that you can bring to to this game, what does that mean to you as a as a fan, and you know what that might mean over the next thirty years?
2: So I um, when I, I remember, I have family in Texas. I have cousins in uh, in Dallas, Texas, and I remember the nineteen ninety four World Cup mm-hmm. in the U S. and I was there for the summer, exactly during the World Cup, and I thought it was going to be great because I was in the U.S., and the World Cup was in the U.S.
1: Yeah, there were games in uh, Dallas, too, right?
2: There were a couple games in Dallas, which I didn't go to see, but but it was on pay-per-view. I mean, I was, like, turning on the TV, very excited the World Cup was going to be on. I'm like, no, it's pay-per-view. So I literally had to convince my uncle to pay for the games. I'm like, yeah. listen, it's the World Cup, I have to Only watch the US World games Cup games. Only U.S.
1: were free of right? But the other club, the other clubs,
2: yeah. And so where I where I'm going with this is uh, answering your your question, Mikey. It's just it's amazing to see the progress from the '94 World yeah. Cup that I experienced, somewhat very frustrating to to now. Like. Um, the World Cup, everyone watches the World Cup. Even the Women's World Cup was watched. Everyone went, enjoyed it. And it's
1: actually interesting, you know, the history. So the 1990 World Cup was the first ever World Cup that was televised in the United States beyond the final. There had been finals televised, I believe. But Turner, TNT, or Atlanta, yeah, yeah word, yeah. Um, was first to televise the 1990 World Cup in the U.S., it was the first time they had ever shown any matches beyond the final. Uh, and, of course, they showed the U.S. matches. And the U.S. qualified on a miracle goal yeah. at the last second against Tobago. <laughs> 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 but anyway.
2: No, I, I feel very optimistic about the league. I, I love Atlanta United. I mean, we when we came to Atlanta, uh, we even went to a couple games of the Silverbacks. We wanted to just experienced a little more uh, soccer and when Atlanta United announced that they were going to come to Atlanta, we were really, really happy. And uh, and now my kids love it. And the future of soccer in this country is really very safe. And I think it's going to be really, really good because I see it in our kids, right? Yeah. My uh, my son's 12 now, but he's been playing soccer since he's four. Uh, and he played with Simon three. and Anna. Three, which, which you guys had on your podcast. but. If you look into soccer and the trajectory of U.S. soccer in the eyes of those kids, you have to realize that that is the sport of the future in this country. I have absolutely zero questions about it. And uh, if you're an NFL fan out there, I get it. It's an amazing league, a lot of money. It's great, but it will come down. It will be a day and it won't happen soon. but, uh, Mm. But U.S. is going to take over every single professional sport in this country.
0: So let's let's change gears and go to tonight, which we just watched Atlanta United win two to one against NYFC, who plays with the size four soccer ball. Uh, <laughs> a small well, field. the stadium's too small. Oscar, Aku, that's uh, quite they a they should because text. of the size of their field. <laughs> well, that's funny. That little, is hilarious. Yeah. So yeah, Oscar, who we had on the show, evidently was at the game uh, and given a hard time to some of the fans tonight about playing with a size 4 soccer ball. I thought that was a good... That uh, is <laughs> good Good dig. Um, yeah, but I thought, in my, in my opinion, uh, tonight... I mean, the first 10 minutes or so, I was telling Dave, I was like, is this like 11 v 10? Like, why are we dominating this game so much? And like, New York was putting zero pressure on us. It was just ours for the taking. And I was worried because, as a player, when you don't take advantage of... That Those many opportunities you have, and, and we had a lot of clear-cut chances that you expect Joseph and whomever to score, and we did, and I was like, okay, we might actually lose this game because that's just the way it goes. But overall, I thought tonight was uh, one of the better performances across the board from just the, the team gelling and playing together. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, I
2: totally agree with you on that. I think that it was one of the better played uh, games that we've had this season, and it was really... I was really happy to see them uh, go out offensively, uh, so openly, like from the very beginning of the game, and then putting the pressure up on yeah. top. And as you said, I mean, I we should have scored at least yeah. three
0: more. That's right. I so said in the LA, the Galaxy game, the L. A. Galaxy game when we were at the game last weekend, I was like, you know what? Like the first ten minutes, I was like, if we lose, I was like, at least this game is entertaining. Mm-hmm. So one thing I will say about the brand of soccer we're playing right now is definitely more entertaining. Dave will have some comments on why we can sure it up and not making it as risky in the back. (laughs) And I know you want to talk about that, but at the same time, like I just, it's it's been a lot more fun to tune in. A lot more fun. Several games. A lot more
2: fun. And the beginning of the season, I was a little bit kind of not disappointed, but kind of frustrated with the way that they were playing and the lineups and the decisions that our coach was making. But honestly, it's starting to come back together and and today i saw a team that was happy i mean they were really really playing happy out there and you can tell in the players faces and how hard pt ran and how he kind of like just uh everyone you could tell that they were having fun and that's what soccer is all about at the end of the day
0: and yeah podcast listeners if i can have a moment so i've been really happy with the way pt has been playing since i he was my rant five weeks ago i feel like he has really done a great job of like Hearing the message, I know there's a lot of comments in the media about the Argentinians uh, having a little bit of a beef with Frank. But what it shows to me is that there is at least communication. PT, as upset as he gets, I love the fact that he's a competitor. That's one thing, like, he might be kicking the seats in the Mm -hmm. stands, but he's listening to Frank. Like, the fact that he's, like, at least stepped it up a notch, closing those spaces. I saw it multiple times today. He actually won the ball a couple times and made things happen.
1: Well, the interesting thing, and, you know, you gotta you gotta talk to Frank Devore about this, but the handcuffs clearly have come off or something. If you watch tonight's game, you know, there's no evidence of the Atlanta United that for, you know, six minutes at a time would pass the ball around and never make anything towards the goal. Right. Right? All of a sudden, they are allowed to go attack... And make mistakes. And actually, Petey, who does make mistakes, and DeBoer was famous for, you know, he's ruining our game by making, you know, mistakes. Right. But he clearly feels comfortable now to go out and try things and make mistakes. And you you could see there were moments when he tried something it didn't come off. And then there were moments a few minutes later that he tried the exact same thing and it came off. And, you know, all of a sudden, boom, you know. Yeah. So... Um, whatever has gone on in terms of, I mean, so we've talked a lot and we can probably, we will talk tonight probably a lot about tactics, but, um, forget tactics for whatever reason, DeBoer has freed the players from this sense that if I don't maintain possession, then I'm in trouble with the coach. That's clearly gone.
0: So that's a good segue into, um... Since I don't think I have a rant this week, I'm going to pass it over to you, (laughs) Dave. In terms of tactically, there's a lot going right in terms of I think what's happening up front now, which was at the beginning of the season more of the concern, like how do you play PT, Joseph, and Barco? I feel like they're understanding their spatial relationships better. Um, In the back, uh, I know, Dave, you've got one major kind of rant with the way that Frank is maybe using like Remedy and in combination with Nagby, who are great players – But it's like setting them up up for success for us to be able to push forward and keep that pressure, but also be secure in the back. So do you want to kind of rant on what your thoughts are and how we might be able to change that?
1: Well, one of the things that was impressive last year when we won the title, obviously Tata had an attacking philosophy. And it was, you know, pedal to the metal. Let's get it to Almarone and let's go. Um, But one of the things... I think people forget, actually, the first year we had Carlos Carmona, mm-hmm. and who would sit in and protect the back four, and then he left to go back to Chile. And people forget, like, the first game of the second season when we got annihilated at Houston, mm-hmm. 5-0 or whatever it remember was. That. A little bit of a rough start. We didn't have anybody. And actually, so... Um, Tata made some tactical adjustments with starting with Lorenowicz, but actually the thing that changed, in my opinion... Atlanta United into a dominant side last year was the acquisition, which was mid-season, of right. Remedy. And no one okay. knew that
0: guy's name. It was like, who's this guy? Yeah.
1: And what what happened was Remedy brought balance to the team and Tata knew this. So if he was going to have Martinez and he was going to have Almiron and he was going to have, you know, Barco and Villalba just attacking blatantly, what happens is if you do that, you're vulnerable to the counterattack. So that first ball out when when something doesn't come off, Villalba takes on a guy and he loses the ball, right? The first ball out, if that guy now has room to run at your defense, it is clear to me anyway, and I think it was clear to Tata, that LGP and the rest of our back four, they're good defenders, but they're not so good that they can absolutely deal with somebody with space running at them. And so what happened was midway through that season, Remedy came and Remedy's job was just to basically take up that space. And Remedy was always on the guy on that first outlet ball. And so the, as much as we attacked and as much as we looked fluid offensively, as soon as we lost the ball, you know, we weren't so vulnerable. Most of the time we could do that. And what happened was, you know, one of the things that Tata did was pressure of top. You cannot pressure if that outlet ball is not covered because as soon as Martinez or Villalba or whatever chases up the wazoo, if somebody plays to an open guy, it just relieves the pressure. And We talked about this like uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. There was a there was a play that <laughs> we went over and over and over yeah. where they worked the ball around the back, and then there was an outlet ball, and nobody was covering. So for whatever reason, DeBoer has had this idea, I think, more of a total football. So he has Nogby and he has Remedy, both of whom are very good defensively. Nogby's a little bit more box-to-box. Remedy's a little bit more defensively. But he had, for a while, he had Remedy in front of Nogby, like basically trying to pull the strings right around the 18 of their other yard box. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so I was going to say, but I feel like Remedy is a little... He can be box-to-box. I mean, if you look at the... The pressure he put on for the goal last week where he saw the space and he drove in, ripped the shot, it bounced wide, and then it got crossed in back to him, and he ends up scoring the goal.
1: Yeah.
0: He's got those qualities, too. Not, sure. Nagby, though, at the same time, and you're changing me from saying Nagby to Nagby. I don't know why that is. Maybe <laughs> I, I'm mispronouncing it, and so I'm following your your guidance there. But, no, I, I feel like um, that's, that's the conundrum that Frank has. He's got two great box-to-box players— and it is clearly communicating what the role is.
1: I agree with you, and I think that was the temptation that DeBoer succumbed to. So Remedy clearly has skills and can actually get into the offense. And so what he did was he had this idea that, you know what... It doesn't matter, Nogby or Remedy, one of them can go, whoever has it, and the other one will sit mm-hmm. in. The problem with that is Nogby is not used to sitting in. And what would happen was Remedy would go forward and Remedy was suddenly, you know, handcuffs off.
3: Yeah, and floating And he was, was so far too.
1: up and then all of a sudden there was nobody there. And so this total football became we're going to attack 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 and we are so vulnerable to the counterattack yeah and and when under tata remedy's job was to sit there and so i think the yeah the fallacy or the temptation is to allow the handcuffs off from remedy the moment you do that you no longer have you're no longer balanced and right. I, and what i was going to say my rant if i can go into my rant a little bit is i believe that we have been on a seesaw we started the season very much offensively he wanted you know people forget this but De Boer had the two outside guys going we only had three in the back it was super offensive we created a lot of opportunities in those early games the CONCACAF Champions League or whatever but as soon as we lost the ball we gave up goals and it was catastrophe right and against a good team like when we played down in Monterey um, and then what he did is he overreacted, and all of a sudden, we had way more defensive alignment. We didn't have the guys. We had five in the back, right? And we had possession football, and we suddenly won a bunch of games, won nothing. We went on a streak of five, five wins in a row. We were almost all one nothing, right? But as soon as we got on the road with that lineup, we couldn't create any offense, Right? And we couldn't score. And so all of a sudden we were now this team that would win at home and lose on the road. And so there was no longer balance. And we struggled for a number of weeks. And in the last few weeks, he's gone back to a much more offensive lineup. Now, granted, it has also helped to get Barco back and a couple other things. Petey's gotten more settled, but he's gone back to that offensive alignment. But my... And we suddenly, you know, like if you look at the game that we played at LAFC, we scored three goals against them. Yeah, easily. Right?
0: But we gave up four. We should have had more in that game. We outplayed right. them.
1: Right. And my, my, my concern was we were suddenly all of a sudden scoring three goals. We scored three goals against the LA Galaxy. We were just creating all kinds of chances. But we were still vulnerable because Remedy was still too many times in front of Nogby. And we were still vulnerable. I would argue that we have had this balance. Defense, offense, he keeps overreacting, right? And maybe for the first time in this last game, like today, Remedy was not in front of Nogby that much anymore. But, and I think if you have someone like Remedy protecting, we can finally have that everybody going forward and bombing and creating all those chances, but still not giving up super easy chances when you lose the ball. Yeah.
0: And, and yeah, I think one of the reasons that's happening though is like for the first time in a while, we've got Joseph Martinez up front, Barco, and PT playing, and the, playing on the field together. And I don't want to underscore the impact of Justin Miram, which also allows Gressel to play in his natural position out on the right. So I feel like with some of the way that the, the health of players has evolved. It's just put the team in a better position to succeed.
1: But it's not just that. I would argue, for example, when we played um, the LA Galaxy at home, we won 3 nothing on the two own goals. Yeah. Right? And everybody said we had the performance of the year at it's that great. time. It was great. But one of the players who I thought was awful in that game was Lorenowitz. And because Lorenowitz, for some reason, Lorenowitz played instead of Remedy... And his job was, again, supposed to be the defensive midfield, protect the back four. And he was often in front attacking, again, this sort of total football midfield. He was ahead of Nagri sometimes. And in that game, the one vulnerability that we had was right in front of the back four. A couple of times, we could have easily given up a goal. And Lorenowitz, to be honest with you, in that game was awful. He was absolutely awful. He would go for the ball. He wouldn't win it. And then he would give up the space behind him. And so for whatever reason, what I would argue is we were still trying to get that balance right. And when you don't have that protection in front of the back four, LGP, Miles Robinson, great players, but still not good enough on their own without protection so, to which, keep and it. Which That's game
0: was this? Sorry.
1: This was the, the LA Galaxy game where we won 3 nothing, okay. but so, we easily could have given I'm up. I'm just
0: saying, chairs. like he got man of the match, by the way.
1: Yeah, which I think is nuts. It means that people who are voting and looking at that have no idea what they're talking about.
3: Yeah,
0: okay. I, I didn't focus enough on it, so I didn't really look at his performance enough to have an opinion. So I'll, I might have to go back and, and look at it. Uh, he's a substitute player, though, right? I mean, he shouldn't yeah. be on the starting
2: line. Yeah, yeah. he's And he could be good. Prime. He could not be yeah, good. Some people prime. might
0: like him. But at the
2: end of the day, yeah. his job is to just come in with 20 minutes left and make sure he doesn't make any mistakes. Okay. And today he almost made two. So um, I I agree with Dave when he said that I think the trick is just to keep Remedy a little bit back in in the back and then just Nagby and Nagby had a really really good game today. Um, oh, Nagby. The fun Nagby's to watch. been
1: terrific the whole time. What I would just argue is that simplifying it. So in a perfect world, Nagby and Remedy could interchange. One would go forward. It would add to our offense, right? And yet one of them would always be covering our back four. The problem with that is. Remedy going forward doesn't really add that much more than Nagri no. going forward and the consequence is when they don't get it right in that balance and both of them are forward yeah. we give up an easy chance I agree. and so to simplify it and just say to Remedy forget it you don't need you offensively. I know you can do that role, yeah. but we don't need it. We need someone protecting yeah. our back for it. Let Nagri control that, and you sit. Yeah.
2: which is the role that Parkhurst
0: was playing back in the day, right? I mean, he kind
2: of that Well, it like was Remedy
1: all last year who was yeah, playing. Yeah, it was Remedy that, all last year. That was exactly yeah. what Tata was and, doing. And
0: Parkhurst planted the flag in the back and read the angles.
2: Yeah. I, um, and one of the other things that you said that I totally agree with you, Mikey, is uh, Mirren. <laughs> Mm Miren has been an amazing addition to the team. And honestly, we haven't really talked enough about Miren, but what he's doing and the way he's playing has actually given a lot more confidence to the whole team. Yeah. And we have another output and he's actually playing playing hard and he can play midfield too but how do you sometimes feel he comes once him
1: in. how do you feel about him tonight in a left in the last two weeks he's played a left back role now it's a right. there's three in the back so that's their only defense and he's supposed to be bombing but when he, he's back and you saw it the one time tonight where he was right on the end line trying to defend mm-hmm.
0: and <laughs> I'm raising my hand here okay. and Go I'm going to say uh, a degree better than Breck Shea. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but I'm... <laughs> Which is better. podcast
1: right? <laughs> listeners. There is <laughs> nothing that's easier than to be a degree better than it's a degree Breck better Shea.
0: Defensively. Defensively is a degree better than okay. Breck Shea. And he's able to put people on their back foot. I mean, he's schooling people in that corner of the box and putting crosses in. Yes. Unlike Breck Shea. And Sorry. then you have Gressel
2: on the other side, which is amazing too, because all of a sudden it doesn't have to come all the way through the right, it could come yeah. from the left. And Sometimes this was Tata's right.
1: you know, philosophy, he had Garza and later in the yeah, season that's Escobar what Garza bombing was doing. down the side. And he was said it was Garza worth was it to give up those chances because they were creating things. Correct. And Miram is at least creating things. Breck Shea was up there all the time. And not creating things and still giving and us support And Miriam supports the drums. midfield,
2: too. I mean, he made a couple of really good runs down the midfield, covering for Petey when he needed to,
0: which I thought was interesting. And if you notice on the other side of the field, yeah. our boy Gressel, who's still struggling in a lot of parts of his game right now, look at his crosses... Still figuring it out, but you know what? They're getting better and better. I would just
1: say he's still figuring out? I thought no. He, I he
2: I actually had a really terrific. good thing. Yep.
1: He's
0: defensively and in some of yeah. his decision making, he's making some really bad decisions. Crossing and playing into the game that he's famous for, he's doing. He's coming back into it. I think there's still the confidence part of Gressel's game on the defensive and just getting. He's still not quite there, but. In terms of his crosses, I feel like those are coming back. We're getting the quality service, and you saw that over and over again. Like, I mean, there's a couple goals we should have had with his service tonight.
2: Yeah, he has an incredible touch. Yeah, he really knows how to put those balls into the a dangerous position for Martinez Barco. But P, I think that's
0: again, team. like now that he's back out in his natural position, he'll get better at the other part of the game. Which, in my opinion, Dave's looking at me with a crooked eye. I just don't think. He's he's making some silly mistakes in the other part of his game, which at the end of last year he was like, I was like, wow, we're gonna lose him to a European team, and he's kind of taking a step back, and he's not a complete player, in my opinion. I think he's one of Yet. the most consistent players we've had in this
2: team. His since ability it to
1: li- deliver a good early ball, as you saw in the first ten minutes he's of this game tonight, is
3: consistent, unbelievable. And tough.
1: Yeah. He, I he, love the early
0: cross. Like, oh, that's so deadly. The early ball is
1: just... It's so deadly. And Sean Johnson, the... Low, the low curl. The FC goalkeeper. No, he he was a great screaming at it. his defender. He's like, three times that yeah. guy just put in an early ball. Somebody do something yeah.
0: about that. It's like a dagger. I mean, it's so awesome <laughs> to see that. You don't take that extra touch down the line. You just play it <laughs> early, and it just oh, curls wow. in low
1: and fast to... You know, the, if there are any kids listening out there, if you get the opportunity to put the ball behind that last defender mm-hmm. early from the angle like Gressel is showing yes. you, it is it is almost yes. undefensible. It is amazing. So that's my
0: point. Is I feel like that part of his game has really come back in aces the last several games. Um, his work rate I'll never question. Like right. uh, That's one thing no, I love about Gressel. He's like a... A maniac the way he works. I I feel like my point is I think he's going to come back into his own probably in the next three or four games. We're going to see even better quality from Gressel like we saw last year. So I'm excited. What
1: what about DeBoer the Tinkerer? So if you look at the U.S. Open Cup at the end of the game, we're going to talk about some other thing that happened there a lot, I'm sure. But at the end of the game in the U.S. Open Cup, I don't know if people noticed, but we finished with Escobar on the left... And LGP on the right, right? Why? Why did he do that? Obviously, Frank DeBoer saw something that he wanted to have Escobar matching up. We were getting a bit killed down the left with Miram, Yeah. And he wanted to have that. But the idea that he's looking, I, I applaud him for, there's a lot of coaches who will sit there and watch a guy get beat over and over and over and be like, oh, that's what terrible. Do what, do what do I do? And so he was doing something about it. But in the last ten minutes of the game of a game we we're up two nothing, that he's still thinking about matchups to the point where he's switching our left and right back to get a better matchup seems weird to me. I'm like, we're up two nothing. The defenders are comfortable. Leave them in the positions they are.
0: Dave, I'm raising my hand. Yeah. What was the end of the game score? Two 2-0. All right. So let's move on. All right. Um, It's going to cost us though. Sometimes complaining is just complaining. All right. So one of the, was going to be my rant was uh, something Dave has brought up since the beginning of the year, which is we need some new chants from the supporters groups, right? (laughs) They're they're amazing. I've said this over and over again, but like, how do we get more
1: uh, player chants? Like, and I have to say, You know, actually, I was watching the Manchester United-Chelsea game with my son this morning, my son and daughter, and they were laughing. They are like, Harry Maguire just got acquired three days ago by Manchester United. He starts for the first match, and in the first ten minutes, the supporters are singing a specific song about Harry Maguire. We are now three years in. We have one song about Joseph Martinez. Joseph... Joseph Martinez. And we don't have any specific (laughs) songs about any of the players. I love the supporters groups. I don't want to criticize. But somebody give us a specific song. Barco flying down the wing. Gressel putting in the early cross. You know, like, you know. Like again, I'm a Man United fan for years, and there'd be like he scores goals, scores Paul scores, he scores goals. Yeah. Like there ought to be something that we could come up with. So I've got three bad ideas. When All right, heard. let's hear. It. Yeah. Go for it. They're
0: not good because I literally gave this about five minutes thoughts, but you know what? It's better than what we have now.
1: Well, you can if even having a mediocre or terrible idea should stimulate them to come up with a better exactly. Idea. So
0: li- here, listen up, and I may try this. In our, in our section to get one of these going. Probably not the second one. It was more of a joke. But I think like a P.T. Martinez. Joseph Martinez. P.T. Martinez. Just go back and forth. Back and forth. S- super silly,
1: stupid, but let's do that. I wanted one about the Martinez brothers. <laughs> like there's got to be something it, about... How, or or we have two Martinez's. Yeah. There's got to be some song that... That, like, yeah. you've got nothing and we've got two Martinez's? Like, yeah. come on. I,
0: something. Like, creativity, let's do it.
1: people.
3: <laughs>
0: so, yeah, that was... So, my example is a lack of creativity, but it's easy because I have no rhythm right. or beat. I'm not musical. All right. So, I tried to think of some Barco. Barco needs something. I mean, come on. The scandal's over. Let's, let's celebrate the guy. And
1: his name is Ezekiel, for Yeah, Christ
0: and his I last think. name is Ship in Spanish. (laughs) So I had to look that up and there's a song called Somos el Barco by Peter, Paul and Mary. And so maybe we just roll that with Somos el Barco. I don't know.
1: I like it. Here we are.
0: Here we are ship. Isn't that how it translates? Uh, Somos el Barco. Yeah. Yeah. We are the ship. Right. Yeah. So I I think that's a good one. I think I should make that happen. Next game, I got one more ticket to the game. I got What's one the, more... uh...
1: Yo no soy mani nero, soy capitán. La Bamba. Soy yeah, capitán. That's La Bamba. Yeah, La Bamba. Be right. uh, that could be uh, an incredible song, uh, Marco, actually. Marco, Marco, because he's the chef. El
0: Capitan, <laughs> that is <laughs> you it. You nailed it. <laughs> it's actually a very good one. We should probably... That might yeah. be number one. So, you know, a guy <laughs> La that's under-celebrated, who is just... Yeah, you a... can go, like, Barco, Barco. One thing I love about...
1: Barco, Barco,
0: Barco,
1: Barco. <laughs> One yeah. thing I love
0: about the Atlanta United fan base is I do think they appreciate Nagby in the way that he he runs the show. He's a great player. So good. And that's what's cool. Is it shows this so, the the soccer IQ of the Atlanta supporters. Like, when Nagby gets it and he just possesses and he turns and shifts it to the other side of the field – the fans cheer, and I'm like, yes, that is like it's so brilliant, and it's game-changing.
1: His ability to consistently turn a guy when facing his own goal is astounding. And he
0: doesn't lose the
2: ball. No, of so, like, losing an the ball. So I have a new thing the for the Atlanta United podcast.
1: Feet. When
0: he does that, we're going to sing this. Now nah, be on fire.
3: Not be, be on fire. fire. Yeah, yeah, I think we I can like make
0: it. that happen. All right. So those are my three ideas. That's all I like got. I like Bamba the most. Actually, <laughs> that's actually <laughs> like a good idea. Awesome. That came from like Dave drinking la bamba. Wine.
3: <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> it. That up. is amazing. We're going there. Barco, Barco.
0: All right,
3: I like it.
0: <laughs> all right, I'm losing my rudder here. So, how
2: old is chants Actually. How did they happen though? I mean, we have There's this people idea. Come up we... with it.
1: You know, the, the original, but in the the original Atlanta United gave, chant came. When you say
2: people come up with it, well, the original you, Atlanta United
1: people? chant, we are the A uh, from way down south, mm-hmm. and we are here at Rowdy. And I Rowdy. love that. It came up, somebody made that up walking to the sta- stadium yeah. at Georgia Tech, the first ever game. So it can come from anywhere. Yeah, like, inspiration can That's hit. so cool.
0: I, whoever you are out there at Georgia Tech or.
1: But Is there the actually
2: tech. someone leading oh, the supporters section? I mean, like They are guys. so they
1: rotate. Is what you're implying? There's three the podcast, or four too. supporters groups, and then they rotate taking in charge, right? And it should be a question before. <laughs> do you remember four. that?
0: I do. Four. Yeah. Terminus Legion. Resurgent. Uh, footy Mob Resurgence. And, uh, and we should just simply send them an email else. with this
2: uh, La Bamba idea. But you, and you would say, think. Hey guys, I mean,
1: come on. I mean, I, we, we were ranting about this, about Al Maroon. We had Al Maroon, who was one of the best players in the to MLS. grace the MLS field ever. And we didn't have a specific song. This is a guy who would run at Defenders in a crazy way, would turn and go the other way. And we didn't have a specific song. That's sad. Yeah. All
0: right. We can correct this. But hey, you know, the fan base, even myself, I will say, like, this is all new to me. It's all new. Yeah. We actually have a team. That's what makes it for. So it's 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 cool. So let's fix this. All right. Um let's go to the headlines. Um So there's been a lot of talk the last couple weeks, um, where some of the Argentinians have been mm-hmm. upset with the board and like what's awesome is we're five and one out of the last six
1: games. A dear pride. Winning solves listener, a lot. I have to say that I think that Enrique and Mikey Dobbs and I, we probably argued about this last night mm-hmm. for about an hour. A good hour. <laughs>
0: oh, well, do you want to go there? So I wasn't even going to go that specific, <laughs> but you were talking about the Barco substitution. Let's yep. just jump there. Let's jump there. Yeah. Barco substitution. Uh,
1: Forty-eight minutes. In. This is my rant. So, so my my difficulty with the board at this point. I think tactics-wise, we're getting closer to where we need to be. Um, my worry about it, I think, you know, a week or two ago, DeBoer came very close to losing the team. Agreed. And that my worry is that he sees himself for what? I think he's a player's player. Like, yeah. he, you know, he, he talked about, for example, how... The South Americans like the day before a game to just you know goof off and yeah. have a you know a light session. Yavis and he didn't like are, that yeah, to yeah. begin with, but he put that in. So that's great. So he clearly gets along with the players. They love that. You know what? What bothers me is that he still insists for whatever reason, whether it's tactical or stubbornness or whatever. I it's stubbornness. On, I, think on, it's, it, I think it's the. Um... It's where he came from. It's his roots. But he makes some decisions that are like, I'm the coach and I get to make these decisions. So the decision, dear podcast listener, was in the U.S. Open Cup, which is a big match. And I would say for, for De Boer, with the future being unknown, the chance to win the U.S. Open some Cup, which work. gives you a Champions League berth and a trophy... Is huge, and once you get to the semifinals, you know you got to grab that with both hands. Yeah. So that's a big match, right? So Barco is is coming back from the injury, for whatever reason he decides that Barco can only go forty five minutes, and we can talk about it. But I think De Boer is very conservative about injuries, and that's fine, right? But the first thing that was weird is if he can only go forty five minutes, the classic thing to do would be to bring him on with about thirty minutes to go right? But he decides to start him. And I guess the idea was to sub him at half. The reason why you don't do that normally is because if you make a sub that's unforced, that's planned at halftime, for example, now you only have two tactical subs left, right? And it's a little weird to do that. But anyway, he decides to do that. He revealed afterwards that he was planning on bringing him out after 45 minutes. Fair enough, right? Here's the problem. So instead of taking him off at halftime, which would be planned, and everybody, the whole team should have known about it. They're like, Barco's going off. Tactically, we should be ready for that. Everybody should have known about that. He brings him on in the second half, and then three minutes later, in the 48th minute, brings him off. Okay? And when he comes off, his body language is kind of negative, but he accepted it. But then what was on television was Escobar was standing closest to him, was screaming obscenities at the own coach on the field about it. And that tells me two things, right? It tells me that the players were not prepared for him coming off three minutes into the second half, and they were not happy about it. And what I would argue is regardless, and we can talk about all the reasons why he may or may not have done that, right? Right? But whatever the reasons is, he did not communicate well enough and he created what I would call an unforced error. An unforced error is in a game that you ultimately, they were up one nothing at the time, they ultimately won 2-0, a big win, a positive, positive. To have a situation where a player is screaming at the coach on the field, that's a problem. And it's an unforced error, whatever he did, he didn't communicate enough or there's some history there. And and I and I think that you can say that Escobar should not have reacted that way, but for whatever reason, shouldn't. he reacted that way, and that is a problem. It's an unforced I don't error. know that's a
0: problem. I think you want your boys to have your back. And I actually think it's a good sign. Yeah, the Barca's arguably the most exciting energetic player in the field. like Joseph Martinez after after that goal to my holy shit that was amazing um, it, well, let's talk about that in a second by the way yeah. but um, but uh, yeah you know I I think you know especially Escobar is a young player he's got his 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 boy Barco who's back they're probably buddies and he's like the you're right De did not communicate correctly and this is not the first time he's not communicated correctly so I agree I think De is a bad communicator. And as long as DeBoer improves on his communication and recognizes these moments. And so that's where I'm going to go with our argument from last night is I think hopefully DeBoer can continue to realize he is making these unforced errors to your point. Cause they are, I think they, they are. I think he might be looking out for Barca's best interest because he's worried he might get injured again, or he's not fit enough to go like whatever it may be, but he's doing a poor job of communicating to the rest of the, particularly the Argentinians who've voiced their concerns, I think that's clear. So again, don't forget this is the first year De has coached this team who is an Argentinian birth team from Tata. Yeah, I, you're rolling your eyes, but you know what? But I, you have to realize that players. The you
1: have to realize that players are people too, right? Yeah. I and did, what I, agree. I don't understand about De Boer is he seems to do things like almost like the players are robots, and they're never yeah. going to react to things. And so I-X-Y. he should be able to do what he wants tactically and not have to worry that the players are going to get emotional about that, Every which is well, naive. Here.
2: Well, and before I even answer or get engaged into this argument that we've had yesterday, and I agree, we actually spent a little too much time (laughs) talking about this already, so I'll try to make it brief, but I've been critical about the board, Mm -hmm. I've been critical about the style of soccer that he came in, and so I actually wanted to do a little bit more homework and just try to understand where he's coming from, Uh-oh. try to really understand why he's doing <laughs> what he's doing. And then Bring So up I the went in parts. with my son. I have a couple of cheat sheets here that kind oh, of boy. trying to understand. We frank the the rules. Here the well, and since, I am really since sorry you're since, you're since I'm the guest and a beloved and, uh, guest,
1: we will allow you to do whatever you and want. And I'm also an
2: ex consultant and I like to kind of <laughs> dig into data. And I feel like it's actually the only fair okay. thing we can do to the board right now Let's because it's, it. I understand your point. I don't see this as a problem. I think we cannot highlight this as a problem. This could actually be like a positive thing, probably a non first error, probably, but not necessarily a problem that we should address further than, than what we've already done. But if we just take a little bit of uh, time, it will be very brief, but comparing uh, Frank's experience to Tata as a player, right? So Tata started Newell Souls Boys, then went to Spain at Tenerife, then came back to Newell Souls Boys, then Lanus in Paraguay were the same club that Almiron was playing for mm-hmm. The
0: Newell's so, Old Boys. <laughs> so, so we're comparing Frank de Boer's as players. playing career versus yes. Tata's. And my
2: player. reasoning, my thinking here this morning was: well, let's just get to know these two coaches that right. we so mm-hmm. mo- yeah. so often compare, right? It's fair, Let's compare have, them as players first, then as coaches. About that. That's interesting. Good yeah, Then we as coaches, right? That.
1: So please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: as players, because I really think that if you're a player your whole life and then you become a coach, yeah. and you're carrying all this experience, that you're going to somehow see reflected in your soccer style right because yeah. you are different players i mean he tata was an attacking midfielder Newell assaults boys then lanus in paraguay then Newell assault boys again then he went to O'Higgins, a Chilean club that i've never really heard about then he went to Barcelona, and this is where my son and I were really excited. I'm like, no, wait, it's the Barcelona in Ecuador. <laughs> it's a Barcelona in Ecuador. <laughs> it's okay. a Barcelona club. Oh, yeah. It's a soccer team down in Ecuador. We're like, all right, go bro, Tata. Yeah.
1: It's kind of we're like- la- it's kind of like Versailles, Missouri. Right. It's kind of yeah. like the, uh, yeah. Outside of St. Louis, where I went to college, there was a city called Versailles, Versailles Missouri. It should be Versailles, of course. Yeah. But Versailles, right. okay. Go ahead. And then, uh, the
2: uh, and then he appear- He played for the Argentinian national team, and yeah. we we're excited to understand that. And he appeared Once. Okay?
3: Once. Once. Yeah. Now, no, no, Frank, a lot of, <laughs> well, is, no, listen, majority.
2: Tata, if you're listening to this, I would love to uh, have any professional soccer experience, but Frank De Boer, uh, defensive player, his whole time, his whole life, Ajax in 88, Barcelona, the real Barcelona in Spain, <laughs> Galatasaray, then went to Rangers in Scotland, uh, the Al-Rajan in Qatar, and then the Al-Shamal in Qatar, and then uh, he played for the Netherlands, and as we all know, he was one of the best Netherlands players of all time. So he actually played for them 112 times and scored more than 10 goals. He's got goals. that famous... With his
1: twin brothers. With yeah, Ronald. Ron, uh, Ronald He's got the, the famous run
2: kick run in
0: the down. World Cup where he launched that ball to, right. to um, um, Dennis
1: Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp, who... Collected it one touch out of the air and yeah. just nailed. But that it. ball that against that Decore, Argentina Decore played, and that was yeah. awesome. that game was incredible. Yeah. That was a great Argentina side too. Yeah, it
2: was, but like that goal was incredible. Yeah. Anyway, um, So that was as players. So of course they have different baggage as a player, and then uh, as coaches, like the coaching experience. Of course, you have Tata, who's a more uh, established coach, and. Uh, and this is from the later assignments that they've had to the earlier assignments that they've had. Tata, uh, of course, now coaches the na- Mexican national team, but before that coached Atlanta United. Argentina uh, in the Copa America. Then Barcelona, and I think like one of the reasons he ended up uh, coaching Barcelona is because he placed uh, second in Copa America. Then Paraguay uh, in 2011, also second in Copa America. Then he coached Newell Saltz Boys. Uh, Cerro Porteño down in Paraguay, Libertad down in Paraguay, Colon down in Paraguay. And he's had over like 16, I think 18 years of coaching experience.
0: And Enrique, where's this going?
2: This is going <laughs> to this. Uh, I really think that uh, Frank DeBorge not as experienced as Tata. I yeah. think uh, Tata, after nine years of coaching experience, he was just got a chance to coach the Paraguayan Uh, national team the Borg is just coaching the Atlanta United team so yes he might have had like some unforced errors or as you call them Dave but I don't think it's a problem I think that he's shown that he made the mistake and then for whatever reason he corrected it and I think that's incredibly valuable in anyone's uh Acting right. I mean, if you're humble enough and mature enough to know that you're making a mistake and you're trying to improve, I think
0: that shows that's the one thing that I like about Frank DeBoer right now. Great deal of leadership, 100% agree. I think he's recognizing Frank DeBoer is good at realizing he's a young coach and he's making mistakes, like Dave mentioned, and he's trying to learn from them. Like, what more do you and want? And he's
2: not afraid of making those decisions because as you and
0: I were saying And I'm saying not saying that might be a year, six months from now, a year, I might be yelling for his head. But <laughs> that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad yeah. thing that, you know, I don't think he's as stubborn as we're making him out to be. Or as we he, initially Dave, thought he, he was. Stubborn a lot, but I think he's right. he realizes he is a young coach. He's been fired twice in yeah. big jobs and wants to just like feel it out. I know. You know it's going
1: I'm starting
0: to, to shape his own
1: style. I have to give him whereas credit.
0: Tata
2: is already very well established yeah, I agree and,
1: you know, and and Deboer clearly has the ability he's not, at least at La United, he has shown. you know, even when I was talking about the seesaw, right, <clears throat> you know, from too offensive to too defensive to too offensive, right? The fact that there is a seesaw already suggests that he is not stubborn enough that he's not willing to correct. And he's seeing it and correcting it. There have been some weird things with matchups. Totally. Which I don't get. And he seems to have this over-reliance on individual matchups and styles. Like, you know, even at the beginning of the season when he was talking about when he would play Miles Robinson and not... Or when he would play Parkhurst and he would say, well, you know, depending on how physical or big the the forwards are on the other team. That's and always to you a scientific. How many, how many times does Barcelona not play PK because they have some matchup right. that they don't like? Or how many times did, you know, I mean, how many people vary their back to based on i think it's just very analytical is. and i've yeah. never met
2: the guy i think he yeah. he has all this data he's over analytical about things he's probably thinking too much about certain decisions and he's just trying to fine tune to a level that soccer doesn't really allow it it's more and something you could do in baseball or in some other sport maybe
1: the players are helping him like when he was at ajax he he was coaching all of these you know really young kids who were so devoted to the system. And so that kind of analytical style might work. But once you get in the real world, I would argue, where not everybody's come through the same system and will do anything you want to do, like robots, right? You have to deal with kids right. from South America. You have to deal with players from, you know, wherever. You realize that, oh, uh, I actually have to be adaptive. So
0: one thing I will say like as well, I feel like I've seen more openness to him putting different players in than Tata. Yeah, he's uh, more willing to make... There's more rotation. And so, as far as Barco and the sub, we can... You know, right, I agree. Communication error probably on his part. Brought in Andrew Carlton, who he's shunned pretty hard, uh, clearly, since the passport incident. <laughs> was able to I get... See. Was basically able to get, you it's know... So funny. 43 minutes of soccer. What did you think of Andrew Carl, Carlton's performance?
1: You know, Andrew Carlton put in a good shift. I mean, uh, you know, I was again a little surprised to say, like, when when you bring off Barco and you put on Andrew Carlton, That's a lot of pressure. You make it be- sort of like as if it's not as important a match, and I was a little bit surprised that you would do that. I understand that the a lot. Of, a lot of coaches treat the early rounds of a cup. Like yeah, we're gonna whatever. But once you get to the late rounds and you have a chance to yeah. win a trophy, have he knew at that, that Orlando match that if they win, they get a home yeah, match right. for the final, with a chance to get back in the Champions League, no matter what. You know, I, it was a weird moment to do that. But fairness, yeah, that's my Eddie Murphy. Well,
0: moment. but you're talking about the again. The I question have, was, how
2: do you
3: think Carlton?
1: yes the spoon.
0: I think he was yeah. giving <laughs> Carlton the moment of like Wait. the psychological moment of trust. Because it was an important game, and he let him. And, and I felt like Carlton, he didn't have a great, like, he didn't do anything like amazing, but he held his ground. Because that, pretty that well. was
2: a question, though, right? Focusing on Carlton's yeah. performance, not why he ended up. Carlton held I his ground and pretty I, well. To so, what question, did you think of his performance? I thought he was
1: up and down. There were a couple of okay, times yeah. he gave the ball away, just yeah. crazy, where he was he was trying to do too much in the midfield. He would try to make a cut and whatever, almost like Petey was originally. Uh, and I think that's because, not, you not know, minutes, I maybe. Mean, he hasn't had a lot of minutes and he wants to show he can do something, yeah. right? So when you do that, you have a tendency to go for the the home run ball every time because you're not comfortable. Yeah. And I'm fair, you know, I don't criticize him for that, but he lost the ball a couple times in bad spots. But on the other hand, he chased a lot. Yeah. And he, he was making runs a lot, you know. I yeah. thought the commentators on the U.S. Open, you kind of, Oh, they're they awful. him. But you know, <laughs> Carlton, gonna do it anyway. <laughs> Carlton comes in two minutes into the game, and they were, you know, they They're were like, for "Oh, Carlton reason for is It's a brilliant move yeah. by Devore because Carlton is making so much more runs. I'm like, he's been in the game for 90 seconds, right? Yeah, he, he better like, be making a lot more like, runs. How could you say that at that point? It was like, right. a little flabbergasted. Before we
0: move on to the trivia, we're gonna move to Cat's Corner. You ready for this day?
1: Okay, I don't know what's coming. But. Well,
0: it's pretty. Ambiguous to me, too, which is this whole new rule in the global game of soccer where the goal kicks now do not have to leave the 18 before someone on your own team. So Brad Guzan can kick it to LGP two inches from the six yard box to his foot and he can continue play. Um, this has not reached the MLS yet. I don't know when it will. I'm trying to educate myself. Maybe you don't know, Dave. but
1: They started in the Premier League. They started the Premier League. <laughs> World, I mean, today the they British started with that rule. That wasn't the first tournament to do it, but they started... The whole league is going to do that. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't... So, yeah. Have,
0: edu- what does that mean? What's to, a reason? The okay. point is, is what so, does that mean for the game yeah. potentially? Why would they have done this? So,
1: yeah. for years, I think it's historical. So, on a goal kick the ball has to leave the box, period. So anybody who would touch the ball within the box, it was just a do-over. And actually, I love the... I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but last year I was watching a Barcelona match, and I wish I could remember who it was, the left back at Barcelona. Um, But Barcelona was facing a lot of pressure, and um, Navas maybe was in goal, I can't remember. But he played it out wide. And the other team had already set up their press and was clearly whatever. And whoever it was, the left back um, for Barcelona did something that I was just floored by, which is he looked up the field, saw, oh my god, we are this is a terrible thing to do. Press and all he did was step inside the box and touch the ball, right? and then the referee ruled that that was of course illegal and it's a review for a goal kick so he took all of the pressure <laughs> up it was uh, brilliant i've never seen that and actually so when cool. i was coaching i said to my kids cuz you know i'm uh, like i want soccer IQ right there yeah i'm like oh my god that's so brilliant impressive. i'm like i want to play out of the back but any you know any coach who wants to play out of the back you want to play out of the back unless they are totally set and you're just going to put yourself under unnecessary pressure. So I said, look, we'll play out of the back and if you ever feel, I said to my players, if you ever feel as a right and left back that you're looking up the field and you're like, I don't want is the so ball right now. They're so set and it's terrible. <laughs> just step inside the, the box and touch it. It was brilliant. Anyway, you can't do that anymore because they changed the rule. The rule now is that offensively, any player can receive the ball. It doesn't have to go outside of the 18. So if you're the right back, you can come inside. You can be two, two feet away if you yeah. want. And they can touch it to you. And the can, only can rule... the
0: opposing team come into the 18 at that point? No.
1: The, the opposing 18 has to start outside of the box... And the moment it's played, they can enter. They can once it's played. And they can they can win the ball without it ever leaving the box, which didn't used to be true. It used to be that if you kicked a goal kick and the guy stepped inside the box and won and, it yeah. and intercepted it, if it was inside the box, you just got a do-over. That's, that yeah. was illegal. You had to stay out of the box. Now, as soon as the ball is played, you can come in, you can intercept the ball, and you can win it, but you can't enter the box until the ball is played. So only an offensive player can be inside the box and they can play short, but then the the defensive player has to be at the 18.
0: Once this offensive player touches the ball,
2: you so, can go in. No, as
1: soon as it's played from the goalie right or from the, the first board. ball, then you can... I love
0: this. Great Cats corner. Maybe the best Cats corner I've had yeah. yet. What do you think this means for the game? Why would they have changed it Well, you know,
1: the rule... I, I, I have no idea, actually, historically, why the rule was inserted. But I would imagine that the rule was inserted so that... you, For example, you could imagine a craziness that they could have set up a wall on a goal kick. You know, and try to block a 10 yard, you know, whatever. So I think people were like, this is ridiculous. You've got to get a little bit out far and at least let someone, you know, kick it, whatever. But the way that the rule, you know, evolved was that everybody was outside the 18 and it was a little bit crazy that, you know, the ball had to get outside, especially now with all this, you know, Guardiola inspired tactics of pressuring up the field. People are really set and they're pressuring and you're you're like, it be- creates these kind of abs- absurd, you know, situations where the defender and the attacker are waiting for the ball to get outside and they're muscling each other. It's just nuts, yeah. right?
0: Especially when they're trying to play out of the back. Right, so,
1: right. and it prevents you from laying out of the back. So it was time, and I think what a great rule change, to be like, there's no reason why you can't, as an yeah. offensive team, if you want to, to play With short. But perfect.
0: so, in the era of playing out of the back, seems like that's where they make, made the rule change.
1: Well, the nice thing is, so, for example, in U.S. soccer now, they are putting in a line at the, the, the very youth soccer where in order to allow kids to learn to play out of the back, they put a line that's about a third of the way up the field. Yeah. And because what's, what every parent who's ever watched a seven or eight-year-old soccer team The coaches who dominate, they have everybody up in the thing. The kids can't kick it that far. They intercept a goal kick and they go in and score. So U.S. soccer has put in a line about a third of the way up and everybody's got to back up out of the line and they can't come in until it's played. Now, I think that's a bit extreme. I think actually the the more simple way to do this is to say, what, you know, the offensive team doesn't have to play out of the box. And this new rule change should actually get rid of the reason for having that line in you, soccer.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a question, and I already forgot it. Um, but, it, yeah, why? What does that mean in terms of the ability to move the game faster, I guess? I mean, it does seem like it might speed up the game to be able to, to me, not it, have Brad Guzan just kick it. Over halfway and just be out of bounds another three. Well,
1: again, coming back to Atlanta United, there's been a couple times i felt like we've been super stubborn and when the defense has been totally set and trying to pressure us. For example, last year against the Red Bulls, where we went into the Red Bulls under Tata and... It was awful, and a couple of times this season under DeBoer. We have tried to play out of the back when it was clear that the defense was set up to pressure. And all we've done is made people make obscene passes under pressure. And not to give us an offense, but just to get us out of the back. And we lose the ball, and then they get a shot and they score. I know what I was
0: going to say. So how does this rule roll out? How do these rules roll out from the Women's World Cup to the MLS to the EPL? They played
1: with it in the Women's World Cup. Right, I know,
0: but like, how do they yeah. decide, okay, well, there's this new rule that's by the governing body. which I'm not going to tell who that is because it's a trivia question. Um, oh, I was about to say it. Don't say it. <laughs> um, I should have said it. Don't say it. Um, so it once goes. it's decided, <laughs> like, how does that roll out by league? How does the MLS decide, okay, since the governing body says this is the rule... We're going to adopt it at this date.
1: Well, and what they do is actually the governing body that shall not be named. Um, I think you'd be surprised. I think you might actually get it wrong. By the way. Oh. But so please do say it. <laughs> anyway, so they will. They will test. They will test it. And usually they test it in a couple of ways. They test it in certain leagues. For example, VAR was first tested. One of the leagues that was early tested was MLS. Uh huh. And now it's been adopted universally across all of Europe's leagues. And the same thing is true with youth. Starting this season, right? Yeah, this is, for example, the EPL is doing it this year, but we've had it for two years. Right? Um, But they also will test it in youth tournaments. So there'll be an under-17 World Cup or an under-20 World Cup, and they'll test it there and see how it works.
0: All right. I think we're about ready for trivia since I'm teasing that out there. Anything else to bring up that we haven't talked about on this podcast for trivia? No, I
1: think yeah? trivia, right. let's go.
0: Trivia's going to be good. Enrique?
2: I'm never going to be ready for trivia anyways, so no, go this, ahead.
0: <laughs> this one, I don't podcast know. Podcast listeners? So if you get 7 out of 10, you'll walk out of here with a free bottle of wine. Um, and... Nobody, That's good nope.
1: because he walked in here with a bottle of wine. You did. And <laughs> that we would appreciate mean I would that. thank you <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: awesome. There's some hard ones and there's some real softballs in here. So I think you got a chance. All right. Well, you as long as chance. I have a chance, I'll All try right. my best. First one. Go for it. How many MLS goals does P.T. Martinez have this season, including today?
1: He didn't score today. Um,
0: I know, but I'm saying, like, including... <laughs> including today. If in, you case you had, in case you had a count, I am mean, including today.
1: So, one We're of the things you that... Uh, you didn't score today. Well, thank you. I didn't <laughs> score today.
0: I was paying
2: attention. Um, well, uh, there's no uh, multiple choice question? No? Here? This
0: is straight up... <laughs> Damn. How many goals? Um,
2: I do remember that Petey was struggling with scoring. Uh, and so, it wasn't the first games. Because he was kind of, like, very dry at the beginning of the season. And he made a big deal out of his first goal. So... It would probably have to be less than five.
1: Did you see the great head ball he scored against DC United? That was a nice one. That was oh his oh best. Goodness. Goodness. Yeah. Less,
2: less than five. Less than five. So I'll go with um,
0: three. Two. So only had two goals. So close. And four assists. Unless so he had close. an assist tonight. Did he have an assist? No. So two goals, four uh. assists in 21 games. Yep. He said 21 games and only two goals and four assists. So he's got a lot of work to do. No. Yeah, so, he played phenomenal in last In
1: fairness to Petey, he's had at least one, maybe two called back.
0: Yeah. And he's hit the post. I mean, he's. He has hit the post more than two lo- times, I'm, for sure. Just on the record, I'm loving the way he's playing lately. Okay, he's, so that he'll was a good score and He's been very, very hard to start, 0
3: for
1: 1.
0: Hey, it was only one goal off. Um, I feel like this is a soft Yeah, well, actually,
1: you go know, ahead. on the podcast, we've been very generous. Hey, right? I was so, so close. That be no, like go at ahead. Least I don't a half a point. No, a no,
2: of I don't want your pity,
3: <laughs> pity, Martinez.
0: <laughs> this is an easy one too. I Treat mean, me at least like Simon and <laughs> I. Right. What year did Minnesota United
3: enter <laughs>
2: the MLS? They entered the same year that we did. Okay,
0: so what year was that? Uh, it was three years ago. So what's the year? <laughs> that was... This is what question. year is it now? 16. 2016. <laughs> is that your final answer? No, 2017. 2017. 2017. All right, we'll give it to you. Same year as Atlanta United. Alright. We'll give you that. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's the uh, right. the Baja Vino working on your behalf. All right, so one and one. All right, in Major League Soccer's first five years, it made... Or lost two hundred and fifty million dollars. Did it make two hundred and fifty million, or did it lose first five years in the, its first five years? Is it? Profitable?
2: I know that they were very worried about the way the league or was, was it, going. You How went
1: to Warren Business School. This has got to be a no-brainer.
2: In the first five years, they made two hundred fifty thousand dollars. What? After what happened to the league You're before? Wrong. Dave, Dave <laughs> tried
0: to set you up. They lost. $250 what? million. Dollars. See, uh, that's the pressure. Day. That's the oh, pressure. As hours. a business guy, you know that's the rule. You always lose money yeah, in your first couple business years. Starts out
1: losing money. After
0: five years, though, I'm well, impressed. In the
1: first
0: five right. years, they lost. So you
1: won. And it was Dyson. You, you, one, one,
2: you would not have one, lost $250,000 <laughs> in five
0: years. <laughs> one question, right? Brilliant, two lost. <laughs> All right. This is actually minutes. a tough one. This is really tough. Dave, I don't even think Dave while. will know this. I don't even think... Because he was kind of being smart actually about... Um, see what, I, I, thought,
3: I might I guess I thought that was the easiest question I might guess it, right? It was,
0: yeah. I thought that was a softball, too. Yeah. All right. In Major League Soccer's first five years... Oh, no. I just guessed that one. All right.
2: They lost 250,000 <laughs> <laughs> dollars. Repeat. That's two, right. two. Thank this you. is
0: the only... Million. Million. <laughs> this is the only organization... <laughs> That has the authority to review and change the rules governing the game of
1: football, a.k.a. soccer.
0: I would go with FIFA. Dave, do you want to lifeline him? It's Uh, not FIFA?
1: I would have said FIFA too, but since what you said before. It's not
0: FIFA? I I would have said the same thing, but it's So it's not... Huh. It's It's the the... IFAB, the International Football Association Board, is the self-described guardian of the laws of the game made up... ...by four British, British associations, the FA, the SFA, the FAW, and the IFA, and FIFA. It's the only organization that has the authority to review oh, wow. and change the rules governing the game of football. The four British, British associations have one vote each... And FIFA, representing the remaining two hundred seven national associations, has four votes.
1: <laughs> so there are four British dudes. Yeah, and and the FIFA. rest of the world. <laughs>
0: I just thought that was totally that fascinating. Is
1: right? That is amazing. Really that is amazing. That's a good fact. Wait, no, really now, now, what are their
0: names? Yeah,
2: can yeah. we just send them emails yeah. with uh, rule changes but and things?
0: That's a nice little piece of trivia,
2: right? That is, that a is very good question. Piece of trivia. All
0: right, that's why I'm here for. Trivia. We do need those names, though. That would yeah, be very, very interesting
2: to names,
1: know. All right.
0: You ready for that? So, so, so it's you're what, one, three, one out of five. Oh, right. really? Um, no, you're one out of four. four. One out of four.
1: You're still alive.
3: technically.
0: You're still alive. All right. <laughs> Coming, come within five years of this answer. <laughs> <laughs> that means it's terrible. What year was the designated player introduced to the MLS? <laughs> really? Yeah. I would have yeah, he no idea. Like, even know that's where why I, this, MLS started. We're here. Yeah, I don't I even. Really don't, I actually. do know that it's 1996. But so they, 1996.
1: Yeah, they wanted to start it for the World Cup in '94, but they were a little yeah. behind, them, so they started two years later.
3: Uh,
0: I would go with uh, 2001. You were one year off from being in the window. <laughs> they, it's 2007 when they introduced it. So 2002 you would have been within the window. All right, that's fine. Yeah. So I think you're out. You're not getting <laughs> this point. No bottle of wine, but you're going to you're going to have a strong finish, now right? I'm playing for pride. Now it's for pride. All right. <laughs> this is a 50-50 answer, oh. so Oh, I'm going to get that one. The wrong rule sure. of offside in soccer originated before or after 1900?
2: I would go with after 1900. Before.
0: <laughs> I am not surprised. Yeah. I should
2: have the gone with uh, <laughs> the opposite of, of, a, of what I thought so was I'm gonna right. go on. A,
0: this is super fascinating, right? Because yeah, huh? this is going to lead into the next trivia yeah. question, okay? okay? So the rule of offside originated in 1863. Wow. A player was considered offside unless three players of the opposition side are in front of him, including the goalkeeper. Wow. The rule changed in 1925. A player is considered offsides unless two players of the opposing team were in front of him, including the goalkeeper, when the ball was touched. That must have been really hard then.
1: All
2: right, With and we talked players. about
1: this on the podcast because everybody thinks you're if you're behind the last defender that you're offsides. but. Everybody forgets that the rule actually includes a goalkeeper. Yeah. So in these weird events, if your goalkeeper goes on a walkabout, yeah, walkabout, a field, then, then you can still be off, two players. You can be offside even though you are in front of the last defender.
0: Yes. It's weird. So if the goalkeeper is like moonlighting right.
2: on those corner kicks that they send the yeah. keeper to, and uh, there's
0: only one player back, he's offside because there needs to be two players. So you that's, might, you know, that's a, probably not a about clever coach idea, from though.
1: like Cutter or something. Yeah. Clever country, you know, in the World Cup could probably take advantage of that. A key moment, a free kick, and have the goalkeeper just come sprinting out yeah. and catch everybody offside. Yeah. So, <laughs> that will be fun
2: to watch, though. If you're a goalkeeper out there, please do try that. It seems feasible.
0: So, the most recent offside rule change, which was the concept of even or level, was onside was changed before or after 1989. So, even is onside, was the rule that they made a change to. Was that before or after 1989? (laughs) I'm thinking after. That's correct. Yes. 1990, the offside rule was changed. A player is onside if he is level with the second to last player of the opposing team, including the goalkeeper. And so I think after the last podcast they need to define what level is right. as the next the generation of the rule It's the it wrist We won't Did you, you
1: see that in the Premier League this weekend the the Manchester technology City. so they have a, a blue line and a red line I can't remember which one's Doesn't the matter favorite.
0: unless you know what what level is. Right. So, they, I know, but it's, they what, needed to the, find things what the have, torso. What, what is the fair level is what they need to design yeah. in the next evolution of the rule. It's
1: supposed yeah. to be your torso and upper body, and it was weird. In the Premier League, there was a VAR ruling, and the line showed, it was a, like a red line for the defender and a blue line yeah. for where... is not bad, or the hits. But it was so. amazing, it was just slightly separated, and the referee, when he was talking, to the players were all upset, and the referee pointing to the arm and armpit and said, this part was offsides. It was amazing to see. It was like a very technical, that was offsides. And and I would argue, Mikey Dobbs, I hate this because I don't like that kind of technical mumbo jumbo. But you've been arguing all along for a very technical, it should be very night and day. And in the Premier League, which which MLS doesn't so you know have. What,
0: I know what I just want to know what is the center point of offside. But they
1: have done this in the Premier League. They have defined it, and they have a line, and it's black yeah. and white right? Which is great, but why couldn't they do that? If England could have a blue and red line, why couldn't America? Totally. Right. <laughs> But technology. Well,
0: I mean, Wimbledon. Get Wimbledon get better and better and tennis better. is the one who invented this, right? Yeah. That's why. Well, how come we've
1: had VAR for two years well, and we don't have a test, blue and red line? We're the test The, subjects, the Brits right? are ahead and of us. It's disgraceful! Oh my god! But you're saying that the we're, English have improved upon what we did. We're
2: being the guinea pig of this association with yeah. the four British guys. We've got and Apple and FIFA.
1: Google and Microsoft, and we can't come up with a blue and red line in England. What do England have?
2: A blue and red line? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Enrique, question number eight.
2: Dave's just trying to distract me. I actually <laughs> want a recount.
0: The Campiones <laughs> Cup was oh. established in what year <sighs> between the MLS and La Liga MX? I just found out about
2: this uh, when yeah. America was playing. <laughs> so the MLS. so,
0: so that should give you a hint on what Very year you recent. might want to pick. What year was it established?
1: I give you a hint. This is not the first year. Well, thank you. But, but it's, good,
2: it's, very
0: it's not the first year. Twenty eighteen. That's correct.
1: Yes. <laughs> thank you for that tip. And Tigres
0: won the first one. <laughs> Did yeah. they really against? And so what it's team? Is, the, is an annual North American soccer tournament consisted between the champions of the previous Major League Soccer season yeah. and the winner of the. Campeones de Campeones Liga MX Well,
1: no, actually So this
3: is a good opportunity Frank You actually ahead.
1: should explain to us So Which, to be honest with you I still don't get Mexico has Like three seasons And a sprint season Or whatever have, Stop They have two Okay. Oh, I'm giving so away, you're, away You're going
0: into the next trivia question. Let's, let's stop right let's yes. there. Hold on. We're, we're getting, I
1: really hope Atlanta
2: United it. wins right. so. let's, hold on. the game on Wednesday. This okay. is
0: where I thought I was going to give you some softballs towards okay. the end. Well, all thank right. you. This is a super easy fun. one for you. The more you say if you it's a the more... Uh... This, if you miss this, it's going to be embarrassing. Okay, well, thank say. you. Club America <laughs> in Liga MX is based in what city? What's that? Club America in... La Liga MX. Mexico City. That's right. They
2: play at the Azteca, Azteca. Stadium. And I really, really need Frank to beat them because yeah. I hate that club.
1: No. all oh, right Enrique, where were you born? By the way, I was like born in Mexico Supporters, City. So well, we why aren't them. you a Club America Well, Mexico
2: fans? City, when the time I was born, had four teams. It had a Club America, it had Necaxa, it had a Cruz Azul. And I'm missing one. I wonder if it was Nassau-Alcoyot or one of the others. But anyway, so I, there were four teams. My mom's family come from Guadalajara. And I really... The one thing I really like about Guadalajara, without making this way too long, is that they only hired Mexican players. So it was the only yeah. club in the whole league exactly. that didn't really uh, rely on foreign stars to okay. play. So I kind of appreciated that and was supportive okay.
0: of that. So Atlanta United supporters, we need you. It's a home game. I agree. This is a kind of a silly tournament. It is a silly tournament. It's, it's not it's a
1: tournament. It's a game. Oh, it's just a, it's game. a game. It's a single game. It would be game great to win it, though.
0: The champions of Liga yeah. MX and MLS, are Atlanta United, winning in 2018, playing on August 14th at 8 p.m. Tune in or get to the game. All right. We, we should game. go. Are we,
1: Are you guys going?
0: I am out of town. I would oh, love to go. Town. I would totally yeah. be there. Yeah. I would at any cost, be there. We yeah. should go.
1: And I'm having trouble walking... Which makes,
0: Disney yeah. <laughs> you're well, no. Hey, how about you get get a wheelchair? Have yeah. Oh, that would be. Have even better. that might be the best we'll experience. We'll get better your life.
2: parking spots. I'll drive yeah. you. You should <laughs> totally do that, Dave. And I'll push like, your wheelchair. Like, push me, push me, me into the game. game. I'll, I'll drive go. you. Take the wheelchair. We'll take some right. pictures. Post it on the podcast. Should have
1: gotten tickets like weeks ago. Final question. Go for it.
0: What two tournaments did La Liga MX have? What are the names of them? Oh, it's invierno and verano. It's basically just the summer and the winter. I'm going to give that the correct since you're giving it in English, but what is the <laughs> Spanish version of that? It's invierno. La clausura y Apertura is the way they call it. Ra, you're right. Ra, I almost, almost screwed that clausura. one up, too.
2: So Clausura and Apertura. Clausura and
0: Apertura are the two terms. So Apertura is the summer and right. La Clausura is the winter. So what I was curious is, so that's weird. They divided. There's 18 teams right now currently in La Liga and Mequis. Uh They divided between those two seasons. So there's two champions. You two there's two champions. Have champions have and then they also a, play a game. Twice seasons, a year, yeah. right? They hold yeah, it up. Yeah. I'm curious, does one of those trophies matter more than the other? Just no, I don't think it does. It's They're pretty both pretty
2: much the same. And then the the, the two teams that ended up winning, Clausura and Apertura, get a chance to play against each other to see who's the same champion team. of the champ. If it's the same team, then it's the same team and
0: they've won it. Okay. And they don't, um, no, they don't have a game? They oh. do no? the And that thing. has
2: happened before, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. Most recently, I think, uh, one of the Monterey teams. I think Club yeah. America has won come.
0: it the most. They've won it 13 times to date. What's that? They've won 13 championships today. Who? Club America. America. Yeah, they're a good team. They're hated by most, but not yeah. just joking. They yeah. have a good following. That's all I got on the trivia front. What that was, was the
2: final score? It actually came in to close to 50-50, maybe?
0: <laughs> I think so. I'm going to give you 50-50, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Make It'd yourself be, feel yeah, good.
1: Yeah, 50. 50%. I yeah. 50%. yeah.
2: <laughs> that was
0: pretty good. So it's average. Yeah. Um, We are a good hour and 30 minutes in. It's been a great podcast. Oh, wow. Um, As we always end these things, Enrique, um, what is your least favorite thing about Atlanta United? And it can be anything. It can be the experience at the game, people outside of the game, anything. Or something as silly as... Uh, like a banner that annoys you somewhere. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I must say, for a little while, we, we invented this category because everything was so good about Atlanta. And it's that getting we better like, right so, now. we got to have something terrible. And then it actually hurt a little bit because things weren't going so well, so people had <laughs> a lot of things. But now things are going better. Yeah, bad now again. things so are good. you we're can have some trivial Five and activity. one in our last six games.
2: Well, and before answering the question, I would just like to say that it is going incredibly well. I mean, I don't know what your expectations were when this team was founded and started, but honestly, we if we take a look at the it's bigger silly. picture and we compare a club to other clubs around the world, we're a winning team. We have an amazing thing going on. The city has been incredibly supportive. They have great marketing. They have great players. They are an incredible, incredible team, and we should all feel very proud that we can follow them. Yeah. That said,
1: wait! Shouldn't you put in a plug for the
2: podcast now? ATL on ATL fire. on fire! Please <laughs> continue listening to this amazing podcast, which is one of the other multiple great things about Atlanta United. Oh, I see. Now, um, to answering your question, though, I do have one thing, and it's just okay. the fact that they made us sit down in the stadium. I kind of felt like I was one of the last guys that kept standing in that section, and all of a sudden, you all. Started sitting down. I get it because you're not me, all hurt and injured and old, but
0: not me.
1: Now, this is actually interesting. Well, why so, did we sit we, down? So, we, we, dear podcast listeners, we, we have very good seats. We're at right at midfield, um, overlooking the field on the opposite side of where the commentators are and where the camera comes from, and um, we're in the Cherokee section because of that. Um, And what's interesting is the whole stadium stands, right? We stood at Georgia Tech. People are
2: starting to sit a lot more. We stood
1: in our section initially, but what started happening is literally our section, the section on the right stood, the section on the left stood, the rest of the stadium stood, but our section sat. And it's the one thing we hated about it. And we actually put up a fight to the point where uh, I don't know whether it was you that it was, was with us we were standing me. in one game and some guy got so mad behind us the guy and right chucked us. a beer on us and got ejected from the stadium that was me. because we refused to sit down we're like look the rest of the stadium is standing stand up yeah so I,
0: I so that's the one yeah. thing and um
3: that's that's and talking, listeners, about, a, you stand
0: a, up. everyone that's in our the the section is awesome soccer. by the way like lately they're let's stand up phenomenal um love the people behind us now but there was like one game where like this and I felt bad too because he was like an older gentleman And I, I would have had a lot, lot of lot. I would have had a lot of respect for if you him. have a yeah reasonable yeah he was like a guy I would have been like I'm so sorry you know He like but it was an old guy like I was standing and he like grabbed my he horse collared me from his seat <laughs> so if you can horse collar me um mm. That's I was like what and I just wasn't expecting it. I was kinda of shocked and I was like so at that point I'm not being polite. I was like all you need to do is be like, hey I would have totally sat that down that makes for this sense, right Totally would've I mean, there sat down that for this needs guy to this guy so know they can enjoy sitting- the game if it's a kid, if
2: it's an yeah. elder person, if it's just an injured yeah. person. I get it. But like in general I do see that people that don't really have a good reason to start to sit down are starting to sit down and I just wanna let them uh, let people yeah. know that soccer. It's just a lot more enjoyable if you're standing up and yeah. you're shouting and jumping and so cheering.
0: I think this is the perfect ending to this podcast. I agree. Atlanta fans, get up, stand up, get stand up, up the stand entire up, time. Get up! up. It's not going to be another chant, by the
2: way. <laughs>
1: stand get up, up, stand up. up! Stand up! Stand up! For your rights. Player. No, we got All a player. Right. Who's player. Who's the player? Who stand for? Who could be fit into rights? Get up! Stand up! Stand, stand up, up for your! Miles. 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 Stand up. Miles. miles. Yeah, I, don't I like it. We'll All figure right. it out.
0: Right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been <laughs> ATL on Fire. Tune in again. We'll be back. So, Thanks, everybody. This has been an ATL on Fire production. Hope you enjoyed. All right, soccer nerds. If you made it this far, jump on Twitter and follow us at ATL on Fire. Our website is www.atlonfire.com. Also, if you have one of those awesome Alexa echoes, dots, whatever they're called, uh, or one of those Google homes, et cetera, you can feel free to just talk to us. Say, hey, Alexa, listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast or hey, Google, listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast. Boom. There we are. You're up and running.